Welcome. This is our last in a series of podcasts we've been doing on well-being and the healthcare professional. My name is Herb Garrison. I'm a professor in emergency medicine and the associate dean for graduate medical education at the Brady School of Medicine at East Carolina University and also the designated institutional official for GME at Vidant Medical Center. Now I believe probably called ECU Health since we're in the, uh, in the new year and very excited about that. My guest, very honored to have with me, is Dr. Mike Lang. Dr. Lang is the program director for our internal medicine and psychiatry combined residency. Uh, Dr. Lang is also a clinical associate professor and vice chair in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at the Brady School of Medicine. He's also the chief of behavioral health at Vidant Medical Center. Not sure what it's going to be called now under ECU Health, but uh, everybody knows what it is and where it is. Before we get started with our conversation, I just need to point out that neither of us have any financial disclosures related uh, to this podcast. That's important for continuing medical education. And I also want to thank our colleagues who are here with us, helping us, Alan Brannigan and Mildred Carraway from Eastern AHEC and Kelly Whitehurst and Allison Riddick from the Office of uh, Graduate Medical Education. Dr. Lang, it's been a joy having these uh, conversations. Our last one is certainly not the least one, and we're talking about <coughs> our learners. In our clinical environment, we have medical students, nursing students, resident physicians, fellows, OT students, PT students, pharmacy students, uh, all kinds of uh, learners, and they're not immune from well-being concerns. They're not immune from uh, burnout, and we see that in the uh, literature. But they're also not our peers, and they're not our colleagues per se. We, they are our colleagues in a way, but they're, they're learners, and they fall into a special sort of category. How, how can we support and help these, uh, these learners when they're struggling with uh, burnout and well-being concerns? Well, there are many similarities, although there are some differences in how you would approach trainees versus how you would approach your colleagues. The first thing I'd say again, just as we did in a previous podcast, index of suspicion has to remain high. Problems or struggles that are not identified do not get addressed. There is a reluctance amongst faculty to actually get involved with this for a variety of reasons. Number one, they do not want to be seen as hurting that resident's career or keeping them from advancing or getting them into trouble. And so they may let things pass. <clears throat> what I say to that is no one person is going to ruin a resident's career. And if that resident has adverse patient outcomes, it could affect their career even more negatively. And so approaching that resident in a very non-judgmental and supportive manner can make all the difference. And in many respects, I think approaching the learner similar to how you would approach a colleague, getting them to themselves in a private area and confronting them with facts. You just erupted at a nurse or you just were derogatory or insulting to a medical student for absolutely no reason. Can you explain why that behavior was exhibited? Confronting them with facts, forcing them to reflect on said facts, and providing an explanation. Often you can joggle a little bit of insight that way when you see learners are beginning to struggle. Uh, I also note that it is more than just breakthrough behavior because often, as I have mentioned previously, there is a progression to these behaviors. And so, I often highlight the good resident gone bad scenario. <clears throat> if you have a resident who's now not showing up to meetings, they're getting towards late 
and they don't know their patients, or they're not answering their phone calls, and the nurses are calling you now because they can't get the resident on the phone. If that is a departure from prior behavior, that asks, that begs a question, why is that happening? And so any problem that, or actions that are counterproductive to team-oriented care, we have to investigate immediately. So again, low index of suspicion and confront. Confronting, uh, confront, uh, non-confrontational, supportive, avoid defensiveness, because the trainee is terrified. Now they've been called out on this, what's gonna happen to my evaluation? Is the training director gonna find out? They've got all these sorts of questions that a colleague might not necessarily be having. A professional and academic behavior, no progress can be made until everyone knows what the issues are. If you identify depression, if you identify anxiety, if you identify substance abuse, then that trainee needs to be aware that this is not gonna derail their career, but it is a problem that has to be addressed. Just as if we discovered that they were a type one diabetic, they would need to see someone to get on an appropriate treatment so that they could work their hours and not have hyperglycemia. So I try to normalize it with comparisons to other medical problems. This is just something that we have to address. They're more likely to engage in help if they feel they will not be judged negatively by their peers or the faculty. They do not want to be seen as crazy and they do not want to be seen as the weak link in the team. So I think uh, there's no faculty that I know of who would want to contribute to a learner's lack of well-being, but there's this thing called the hidden curriculum. <clears throat> we would never do something intentional, but talk about the hidden curriculum and how we might uh, unintentionally affect someone's well-being. Well, the hidden curriculum, the data shows, actually starts in medical school. When they're getting into their third year rotations and they're beginning to see you know, how things are done at the bedside, they start to get an appreciation of the things that are not said. They start to get an appreciation of how the attendings actually treat the faculty, I mean, uh, uh, the learners, and they also get an idea of how the learners treat the other people around them, like the nurses, the nursing assistants, the resp respiratory therapists, et cetera. The idea that you're gonna have to put in these long hours to the detriment of your own health, all for the sake of the patient. There are deadlines that can never be budged. The paper has to be in on time. The presentation has to be ready. It has to be excellent. Nothing can complicate that. All these sorts of things of subservience to the profession in defervescence to the self is way part of the hidden curriculum. There has also been an idea of hierarchy where the people lower on the rung can quite frankly be abused verbally, emotionally, etc. And we have had to have over time a structured cultural change such that we do not allow or tolerate the ability for people to be abused because abusers abuse. We know that in all sorts of fashions, it will just perpetuate itself and lead to burned out ineffective doctors in generations to come. One of the themes in these podcasts uh, has been the effect of COVID mm -hmm. on uh, well-being. Uh, the <clears throat> learners are no less uh, impacted. Talk about COVID and, and learners. If there was ever the frontline healthcare worker for COVID, it would be the residents. And in many places, it was utter chaos. There were psychiatry residents that were working in medical ICUs in order to keep them staffed enough given the high numbers of patients that they were seeing. And so not only was there chaos and there was uncertainty, but people were being pulled into areas where they were not necessarily comfortable in order to provide adequate patient care. 
And so those same residents had just as little knowledge about how much personal protective equipment they needed as the attendings did. And those residents were less likely to get information at the institutional level than their attendings. And so often they were left the most in the dark. And so when you're in the dark, working hard in an uncertain situation without adequate outlets for your own personal well-being, it actually promoted more burnout and lack of wellness in the residents than it did in the faculty. Because just like with the faculty, the residents didn't have gyms to go to. They weren't able to see their spouses or their kids or do the things that they needed to do to rejuvenate themselves. It is the responsibility of the institution and the supervising faculty to make sure that the learning environment is as supportive and as team-oriented and as wholesome as possible. We talked about the hidden curriculum. You just talked about the learning environment. How, how important is it that uh, these type of uh, issues, burnout, resilience, well-being, wellness, uh, be part of the formal curriculum? And how have you, as a program director, made sure that that's the case? I think training directors are the first-line advocates for the residents and the training directors need to be the ones that go to the institution and say, we need resources for our resident bodies in order to make sure that their mental and emotional health are maximized. And so the training director needs to serve as the de facto leader of that group and advocate for them. Because often residents don't have a voice within their hospital. And so it is in my mind a poor training director that does not sit down with their residents as often as possible and go, how are things going? At the very least, and this is bare minimum, once or twice a year during their semi-annual reviews, these pertinent questions should be asked. So what I did with my program is I actually incorporated it in the documentation process. So it is a question that I cannot help but ask. I asked them, do you have a primary care doctor? How many times this year have you seen them? Do you have a dentist? Did you take care of your dental health? Do you have a therapist or a psychiatrist? If yes, great. If no, fine. But what is your level of burnout and your level of depression on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the worst? And if they give me anything in the upper echelons on that scale, we go into a deeper dive, what's going on, where is it happening, and how can I help you? Every training director in my mind needs to have a firm idea of the resources that are available in the community and at the institution to help a struggling resident, up to and including the Physician's Health Program, if necessary. They are as available for learners as they are for attending colleagues. So um, <clears throat> this has been fantastic, this whole podcast and hearing from you. And I'm going to take us back to where we started and uh, allow you to give us some, um, some tips. And so I'd like to go back to the very beginning. And you talked about the six areas uh, that uh, we have to pay attention to, the environment, uh, mental, uh, social, um, physical. Uh, w walk me through and give us the, the one tip for each one of those areas as a way to sort of uh, take this thing home. If I am going to give a tip regarding the physical aspect of one's body, I would say exercise outside. We know that getting regular exercise helps mitigate both stress and anxiety and improves insomnia. Do it outside. Because we know, again, from an earlier podcast I mentioned, just as little as five minutes outside can do wonders for your emotional health. And, and, it, and you don't have to go run a marathon. You could walk. Walk. 
Yeah. You can go walk and listen to your favorite music while you do so. Or this podcast. Or this podcast <laughs> would be marvelous. From a social and cultural perspective, what I tell people is reconnect with your spouse. You know, everything starts with the marriage. Reconnect with the spouse and make sure that your relationship with said spouse, husband or wife or partner, is as supportive as humanly possible. Make sure you know how they are feeling because they're not seeing you during the pandemic any more than you're seeing them. So maybe getting a babysitter and going out to a dinner alone and then to a movie and just reconnecting can make all the difference in the world. And you don't have to have a spouse per se, but if you've a got a friend. partner, best friend, and uh, one of the things I like to say is that love is uh, a verb. It's not a noun. Indeed. It, it's an action word. And it uh, has to be cultivated. It has to be grown. If I'm going to look at the emotional and the mental aspect, I'm asking you, do you have a hobby? Do you have something non-medical that you can go to to decompress and take your mind into another area? It can be intellectual or it can be silly, but I often stress non-medical. And comic books are okay. And they're perfectly fine if you <laughs> want to spend that much money. Occupational, are you doing things that will improve your sense of overall comprehension and mastery of your specific discipline? Going and reading about different things within your discipline, learning a different skill set, learning a different procedure. Mastery breeds confidence, and confidence overcomes burnout. From an intellectual perspective, are you a lifelong learner? This is the time to pick up that new book that you've always wanted to read, again, non-medical. We do so much medical reading, it's outrageous. A little bit of non-medical reading that can divert the mind in another direction will, will do wonders for you. I also recommend from the spiritual However you choose to invigorate yourself spiritually, that might be with a like-minded community, going and doing activities as a group with like-minded individuals, joining a club. If you are a religious person, reconnecting yourself to your church, those are all viable options to improve your spiritual well-being. I often say, if you're struggling financially, get yourself with a financial advisor, pay attention to your retirement. You're not just living for now, you're living for 20 years from now, and you want to make sure that your golden years are truly golden. Plan for the long run. Make sure you've got a savings, make sure you've got a retirement. And then finally, when I look at the physical environment, make sure that your house is your happy place and put the investment that you need to, because that house might be where you retire, into making it invigorating with lots of activities that you can enjoy so that when you get off work, you can decompress. I think if you do all those, you'll, you'll have be well, well. You'll be well and you'll have well-being. And so uh, I want to thank uh, Dr. Mike Lang, who's been our guest in these uh, podcasts on well-being. And uh, thanks again to Eastern AHEC and to the office of GME. And uh, we'll, we'll actually call this the wrap of the whole series. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the time. It's been great, Herb.